Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith. Now, as niche markets go, pet ownership is definitely one of the juicier ones, at least if the rise of gigantic pet store chains over the past decade or so has anything to go by. There is a lot of noise and perhaps speculation about the environmental footprint of pet ownership, focusing mostly on things like plastic pollution from pet toys and accessories, to the alarming estimates that we see on the carbon footprint attached to the production and shipping of pet food, specifically meat as the protein source. Now, there are definitely counter arguments that pet food's often made from meat byproducts, including offal, which would otherwise be sent to landfill or burned. So I don't think genuinely we have an adequate handle on the impact of that yet. But one thing is for sure, as the population of pets soars, we should be looking for more sustainable alternatives. And my guest today is doing just that. Stephanie Stuber is the founder of Anipal, a Victorian brand pioneering the use of both seaweed protein and insect protein in dog treats. Now, whether or not the estimates of environmental impact of meat-based proteins is correct, both the solutions being explored by Anipal very successfully, I might add, have many, many times smaller footprint than traditional meat products. And I think this is a fascinating space that, out of absolute necessity, as well as the apparent ease of production, is absolutely one to watch over the coming years. So whether you're a keen dog lover or not, I hope you enjoy this deep dive into more sustainable pet food alternatives and the degree of impact that they can make as the population of pets continues to increase. So with that, let's start the show. Stephanie Stuber, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, I am sort of feeling a little bit giddy and uh, quite entertained by having you on the show today, because let me tell you how I found your brand. So it all happened about, oh, it would have been the start of the summer, I think. And um, we were walking down the road. And as often we find in summer, when it, when the first really hot days start happening after we've had a bit of a, a wet snap, the cicadas come bouncing out of everywhere and they're deafening. And the interesting thing about that is walking the dog. She loves the taste of cicadas. It's a bit like soft shell crab for dogs, I think. She loves them and she will, he goes mad for them, eating around everywhere. And it got me thinking, how cool would it be if we could get some dog treats made out of insect protein rather than any other type of protein? And so I thought, I'm going to go and see if anyone makes this stuff. And lo and behold, up came Anipal. So that's how I found your brand. So, but we're going to get into all the really interesting sciencey stuff, I'm sure, about all the alternative food sources that you're bringing into the pet food space and how you're absolutely shaking this up. And I love, I love so much talking to people that are doing really interesting things to 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 completely uh, shake up sort of established industries. So today's a very exciting one for me. So, but before we get too carried away. Steph, please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you how you came to start Anipal. Oh, thank you very much, Giles. It's um it's been it's been a journey. It's been a fun journey. Uh, and yeah, we're really only at the beginning. The industry at large is only in its infancy in how much it can do in improving the carbon footprint of pets and pets' health at large. 
and just making sure that the industry is aligned with um, being far more sustainable and using pets as an initiative to drive sustainable change for people as well. But uh, it all it all started, I guess, growing up in rural New South Wales on a beef farm and the farm on one of the parameters um, is the Maya River. So essentially every couple of years the Murray River floods and normally because they let water out of the weir then the Murray-Darling Basin uh, and then the water will pretty much flood quite a few paddocks and then when the water recedes the, the paddocks end up being covered in plastic just debris that's come down the river. And then we'd all always have to get out there and start picking up all the litter that's left behind because we obviously don't want the cattle ingesting that. And then you'd also see at the same time a lot of water birds uh, having issues associated with plastic morbidity. So that's either that would be tangled up in plastic, that have plastic wrapped around their legs, around their wings, or you can see that they run well because they're likely ingested plastic. So the seeing animals and how they're affected by pollution was something that I grew up with. And that interface had always uh, been, been something that I'd been fascinated in, in how we farm and 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 um, how we interact with nature and the impacts we're having as a society. And then when I started studying vet medicine, again, it was a really interesting area that I love to explore, especially in how it relates to agriculture. And then when I started working clinically as a vet at RSPCA, I would see lots of wildlife coming in with issues associated with pollution and then I was realising just how much we use in the vet and pet industry, which is really unsustainable. And even in our vet clinics, there's a lot of products, products that we would stock and recommend to customers because of, you know, the strength of a product or the potency of in ingredients from a medication perspective, but yet the way it was manufactured uh, or how it's dealt with after being used, uh, there was just, it was so far from being sustainable or circular. So then I realised there's a lot that can be done in this space to improve our footprint. We started off with recycled plastic tethering. So that's collars and leashes uh, for pets, uh, dogs and cats, because 99% of the industry is made from virgin plastic. So that's plastic spun into um, spun into yarn and which is then webbed and woven into uh, tethering products. So we started there and then always with the interest on how to use novel proteins in the pet space and, and make it a lot more sustainable because the biggest impact we can have on a pet's carbon footprint is through their diet and changing the, the proteins and the ingredients in their diet. So that's that's Antipal. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how long have you been doing the uh, the dietary stuff? So the, the dietary stuff, funnily enough, while I was at vet school, I worked at an ag tech accelerator uh, out of the city called Sprout X. And they are always exploring um, different alternative proteins to be used in the agricultural space and for farmers. And uh, I always wondered how we could 
uh, use the pet industry as a way of accelerating this change and bringing this change and as a market for these alternate proteins because a lot of farmers are really interested in them. If it's a market for them and they feel like they're doing a good thing, they can also get um, credits, carbon credits through it. Farmers farmers are business people and, and they're innovation mm. experts, so they're always interested in new and growing markets. So it was about what... Uh, then finding end consumers who can help accelerate those markets and pets are such a perfect uh, perfect market because they a lot of them are really happy especially dogs to eat a variety of things and from an owner and vet perspective so long as the nutrition is perfect and, and we're giving the pet the right balanced nutrition and the digestibility is okay then it's it's a great option. So really, I've been interested in this space from before Anipal existed. As a dog lover myself, I'm 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 fascinated by the the nutritional benefits of some of the materials, raw materials that you're you're starting to put into your uh, dog treats and and uh, and so on now. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about? I don't want to go down the line too far of of how bad meat is for the planet. I think we all understand inherently that there's a massive footprint with the meat industry right so i get that what i think is uh i'm certainly more interested in rather selfishly um i i'd like i'd love you to explore for us what some of the alternatives are you know to meat to give uh animals and our and our beautiful pets that kind of alternative source of protein which they do need right so what other things have you come up with? Mm, it's interesting. Well, firstly, I'll, I'll take a couple of steps back and, and say I love that you as a dog owner made that leap already when you were walking your dog. And, and what type of dog do you have? She's a um, she's a staffy cross-border collie. Oh, oh beautiful. Yeah, she's gorgeous. That, yeah, full of danger. For the podcast post now, I'm going to have to put a picture of my dog in there. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Everyone, everyone will want to say it 100%. But um, the uh, yeah, interesting that you as a dog owner made that leap of cicadas and insect protein and and the opportunity that, that pets uh, really create in that space. So essentially, we um, I was always interested in insect protein because it is it's such a super power of nutrition essentially it's a um it's a complete protein the it uses 98 percent less land and 100 percent less water so one of the operations in melbourne the, one of the growers actually don't use any water in how they create their insect protein it all comes from the food waste that the right. insects consume so the impact that creating this protein has on the environment is one to two percent that of what uh, livestock, the impact livestock do create. Mm. So from an agricultural perspective uh, and a nutrition perspective, it's just a great solution. And so I and also it's got a nutty flavor that a lot of pets really like. Right. So that and and we have so, uh, availability of this protein in Melbourne and in different growers around Australia. And the opportunity also in agriculture is that you can essentially have modular systems that a lot of farmers can put in unused. Uh, unused sheds or unused space on their farm and create another revenue stream. So yeah. 
that that's why I was always fascinated in insects and we got them into our dog treats quite quite early on and, and we're definitely exploring the food element as well because it's also a hypoallergenic protein and and we know that allergies in the pet space are a huge issue and and the most common allergen in the pet space is actually meat proteins as well as eggs and as, as well as wheat can cause some issues, but it's fundamentally proteins, which are the main issues for a lot of pets. And so it's about from a veterinary nutritional angle, you want to provide them a new protein that they haven't developed an allergic response to and see if that helps. Yeah. So, um, yeah, insects are, are one great op- option. And then before you move course, on to the next one, sorry, sorry to jump in because I, yeah. I, 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 you just said something that completely blew my mind and you, you were just talking about it. Like, oh, this is normal. Um, so I had this, <laughs> I, and I knew this wasn't going to be the case, by the way, but I had this kind of romantic idea that you were walking around scooping up cicadas and stuff and 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 processing them, drying them and processing them down to fit. Now, obviously, I know that's not what you're doing. But what you did say there was that you have an abundant source of it from growers in Australia. Now, I just assumed that this would be you'd have to import the meal from overseas. So it's right here in Australia. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, so so the protein I use is, is right here in Australia, um, and it's a black soldier fly larvae yeah. insect protein. But there's a couple of growers of different types of insects in Australia. So we've got black soldier fly larvae, which is used a lot in um, well, it's in its it's in its infancy, but it has great potential as um, a feed for chickens and a feed for for pets and then there's a lot of other livestock that it's also um, an opportunity for but but they're the main markets uh, and also as a fertilizer that um, black soldier fly has here in Australia but there's also cricket protein there are some growers in Australia of cricket protein and that can actually be used in human products as well and is a fantastic protein but no there's there's sophisticated operations now they haven't um there's a number of them that are still in pilot plant mode but they're still creating tons of this protein um every day uh which is then finding a home in different markets but as this uh market is becoming more mature a lot of these growers are now getting the funding and support to move into proper um, high level quantity uh, and scales of, of farms so large large operations which is really exciting uh, but there is there is certain insect proteins which are imported currently that are used in the chicken industry but from from what we're using in our pet products I want to be able to have complete transparency of where the proteins are that are being created and how they're being created and and I've worked with a uh, both a grower in Melbourne and also a grower in WA who are two of the most advanced in Australia so far. Yeah, I love the way you're thinking about that in terms of uh, transparency of sourcing and and so on as well because it is it, it is becoming uh, an absolute necessity in our space, particularly with consumable products, isn't it? So interesting you say that. I, I didn't realize, and I'm going to go, I've just found a new black hole to disappear down this afternoon. I did not realize how advanced this industry was in Australia. So I'm going to go and find out all about that. But you were about to say, before I rudely jumped in, you were about to say about some of the other protein sources that you're working with. 
Yeah, Emma, it's I I spend far too much time reading up about different different agricultural um, markets in Australia and what's evolving and and the great proteins and alternatives that are out there. And essentially, uh, most people know it all comes down to solutions that already exist in the environment. But we as a society are only beginning to really tap into all of the other alternate options that are out there in the environment that we can use as protein sources, as fiber sources for both pets, um, livestock and and humans. So it's, uh, yeah, so the second uh, protein source that I'd love to to dive into is seaweed protein because that's... That is obviously another area that in Australia uh, is beginning to really get some traction. And a partner that I work with was actually Australia's first seaweed farmer. She is a marine scientist um, from University of of Wollongong, and she works a lot with CSIRO. And she uh, actually developed the first um, farmed seaweed, but onshore in Australia. So she has big ponds and she essentially uses, it's quite a remarkable setup. She uses the gas uh, and the carbon dioxide that's created from some large beer uh, manufacturers. So they produce an excess of carbon dioxide. She tunnels that carbon dioxide into her ponds of seaweed farm as obviously the feed source for the seaweed. So seaweed, like trees, use carbon dioxide as photosynthesis to grow. So that carbon dioxide is bubbling up in the ponds and then you see the amazing seaweed growing and it grows at a remarkable rate. And she has a unique Australian seaweed strain that is really high in protein, very high in omegas as well, and a great source of micronutrients and trace minerals. So it's really a solution that evolved in nature in, in the waters of Australia. And, and she's harnessing it to, to use in human food products yeah. and human supplements as well as uh, a skincare range uh, so it's just got a great uh, options there and then I use her her um, feed source as in, in the pet space yeah. and dogs are actually interestingly they're omnivores they're not carnivores so they actually developed because dogs have been domesticated with mankind for thousands of years. They, like humans, developed the amylase gene, so the ability to break down starches. So that's why uh, dogs can actually uh, consume vegetables and consume plant materials and break them down, unlike cats, who, um, as everyone, a lot of people might know, in, in the vet world we call the cat species I love cats, but um, from a from a science perspective and medical perspective, we call them the alien species because they just are so different in how they metabolize different things and they are carnivores still. So they have not evolved this ability. So they do need uh, meat protein with taurine in it, but dogs can thrive off a variety of different protein sources. Giles just jumping in here again with a quick aside. 
No matter where you are in your journey to grow your brand for a healthier planet, there's one area of impact that all e-commerce brands share, and that's shipment packaging. It's imperative that the customer's order arrives in perfect condition. You already know that if your stuff arrives damaged, that's a bad user experience. It ends up in profit-sucking refunds or replacements, and the damaged items will likely end up in landfill. But how much thought have you given to the fact that your shipment packaging is actually usually a highly overlooked part of the overall customer experience? In many cases, it will be the very first physical interaction someone has with your brand. With sustainability, the war on waste and the single use plastic problem being front of mind for almost all consumers now, the last thing you want is for that first impression of your brand to be dominated by frustration with how your products are packaged. That's why I'm so excited to be partnering with our friends at Heaps Good Packaging on the show. They provide a range of very cost-effective, eco-friendly, compostable shipment packaging from simple mailers through fillers, tapes, labels, and post-pack boxes. And with that all-important first impression in mind, they can also help you with custom printed packaging as well to really elevate your brand experience. Head over to heapsgoodpackaging.com.au and use code PACKLIKEABOSS to get 10% off site-wide. Okay, back to today's discussion. My goodness, what a journey. So how did you get into, how did you get started with, with making these things? Like, I mean, obviously you've got background in, in the veterinary space and, and obviously you have a passion for sustainability and animal welfare. That all makes sense. How did you get into making food products and, and how did you gather the knowledge needed to, to actually start the process? Fortunately today, I can't imagine how people did this stuff way back in the day, but fortunately today, there's a lot of people uh, interested and happy to explain uh, their their industry to you. And essentially, I um I I called up different um different bakers and different cookie manufacturers and dog food manufacturers, and I exp- essentially explained to them what I was interested in doing. And are they interested in coming on the journey with me or assisting me? And and a lot of people at large are always open to new ideas. It's just whether or not they have the capacity uh, in their manufacturing supply chain to actually work with uh, work with the pilot concept. So fortunately, I found some, um, some uh, partners who were interested in, in working with me and together with some pet nutritionists and, and veterinary support, I was able to create products that pet love, pets love. And uh, also what was important from my angle is that it's helping uh, navigate and improve uh, certain pet health conditions that exist out there. Because in the the vet clinic, we see uh, a variety of pet issues, obviously, but there's some key ones that always come through the doors. And that's obviously obesity is a big issue. And that results in joint health problems, there's allergy problems and anxiety. And they would be some of the key issues from a veterinary perspective that we see with our customers and clients on a daily basis. So I wanted to ensure that the products are not only incredibly healthy, nutritious and sustainable, but they're also helping alleviate these key pet health conditions. Yeah, it's you, you find the right partners and you all dream up something together and then you go out and, and make it happen, really. I love the emphasis you placed on just reaching out and, and, and talking to people and building a network. 
uh, there that you just described, and then eventually finding a manufacturer to that would w- was willing to to give it a crack. But especially given, I can kind of imagine a lot of these places going, "What insects? You want to make biscuits out of insects?" and and the sort of horrified view that they'd have around their machinery and uh, concerns about hygiene and all sorts of things going on there that that they would have been concerned about. So good on you for for taking that. So. Let's have a look a little bit about how you're growing the business, because I, I, I could spend literally all day chatting to you about this. Stuff. I'm so fascinated by the by the nutritional aspects of what you're doing. But bringing it back to an e-commerce growth point of view, like what are you doing in your brand uh, now that's that's working that that really that you think is the is the thing that you're focusing on for this year? So. Annie Pal started um, like really every every new business. It started with an idea, but uh, zero funding. And being a vet, I didn't I didn't have a background in business. I didn't have a background in um, accounting, and so I didn't really. And I had you know very little of my own cash, and I was very um, not interested in actually putting too much cash of my own because I didn't have much at that time when I started my vet career um, um, putting too much into this without knowing that I could provide a good solution and that it would be received well in in the pet space but I did put some of my money on the line and then I was very apprehensive about taking any funding because I wanted to find my own feet before I risked anything. And in fact, I've not ever taken funding to date because I would prefer the concept to grow itself and fund itself, essentially. So I've probably taken a different route than a lot of businesses. Uh, But for me, it's what I'm comfortable with. And I can trial and it makes me be really lean really and iterate continually to make sure I'm hitting the right points and I'm and I'm resonating with the market and I'm working as efficiently as possible and and that's how I like to run the business but essentially um I was fortunate relatively early on the veterinary industry was really supportive of my ideas because really the vet industry at large is a really altruistic community most of us have got into the industry because we love animals we want to help animals and a lot of us also are very uh, big nature lovers as well because animals and nature are interrelated uh, and intrinsically related so a lot of vets want to want to be able to help wildlife and 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 make the industry be able to drive sustainable solutions forward. So I was really lucky that a lot of vets were really happy to to help support Anipal, and then I was beginning to get ranged in quite a few vet clinics, and then from there, I used more of the distribution wholesale as as my approach to actually get. Uh, scale and to help um, get customers. And from there, I I interact with a lot of my customers to get feedback continually. But um, it was through veterinary distributors, vet clinics, calling lots of vets to see how they found the products, calling lots of customers to see how they found their products. And I would love it when I would bump into, um, and I still do customers on the beach wearing an Annie Park collar and and they won't know who I am, but I'll just go up to them and say, hey, I love your collar. Um, You know, where did you get it? And then they'll dive into communicating the whole story to me. Oh, it's it's made from recycled plastic and 
we've had it for years and we just put it in the washing machine and then it's right to go again for another two years. And so it's, it's really lovely to kind of get that feedback as well. And then fortunately, some pet stores uh, also uh, were very keen uh, because they know their consumers are looking for sustainable alternatives. So pet stores um, have ranged only power and some larger pet stores. We're now in pet stock and we will be uh, getting ranged in pet barn in a few months. So uh, we're now ranged probably in about 350, 400 stockists. And from there, once I felt like I I had some um, footing in, in the industry and I had some funds and it was able to fund itself, I essentially am now happy to explore some uh, online options and online um, e-com options. But before I had that foothold, I was less keen to spend um, a lot of money there because for me, I don't know much about that industry. It was a black box. And I didn't know, I, you, I, from my um, very naive understanding, it it can it can chew up a lot of money that I didn't have. So yeah. that's why I wanted to get some scale in the wholesale distribution space before then exploring that that industry. Well, you've been very smart with what the way you've done it because you've leveraged your point of difference i suppose in the sense that you know you have the veterinary background to ease the doors into the industry which of course is going to be a fantastic referral spot for customers coming in because they're going to take the advice of the people in the veterinary clinic as to the best treats or the best food or whatever to to take um and then of course wholesales is is a great way to scale quickly as well um not necessarily super profitably but but i mean amazing that you're that you've taken that so you now what 400 stores then you're getting into pet barn later this year yes yeah no Ask. Uh, congratulations that's awesome so i'll be able to find you in my local pet bar when i go down there which is which is brilliant so that that's exciting very very cool so you mentioned there that you know in talking to customers and in in talking to your um your stockists they were saying that they were seeing a demand for you know for, for more sustainable solutions to these things i wanted to talk about the the storyline around insect protein in particular because i kind of i kind of feel like you know um seaweed protein is is a is a is fair game like i don't think too many people are going to bulk at seaweed protein but insect protein is something that is quite a challenging space isn't it it's an evolving space and people are becoming more accustomed to hearing it being a part of a, of a food stuff what, what what have you found as being the um as being the typical response to when you when you talk about and and, and if if there's objections how do you handle those Exactly. No, it is well and truly the the tougher space out of uh, between seaweed and insects. As insects is is more challenging. However, uh, as I mentioned, as vets, we are trained essentially to be educators and to help communicate best practice to owners. And I think um, when you when you're passionate and you know a fair bit about the space, most people are really receptive when they know that it is nutritionally very, uh, very good for their pet. And environmentally, it's, um, it, it's really a great solution. They're open to trialing, trialing it on their pet uh, and seeing the reaction if their pet actually likes it or not. And, and most owners will also smell the product and it, it smells like quite a nutty, yummy um, yummy treat. And so I think that helps reduce the barriers for mm. them. But I would say 
it's probably about a 60-40% split in the owners who are, uh, they think insects and they think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll give it to my pet. And that would be about 60% don't really have much uh, barrier there. 40% do need a bit of bit more understanding about the product uh, and why it is a good solution. And then most people of that 40%, I would say 20 to 30% are open to trialing it. I would say that 40% would have issues about eating insects personally, but mm. for their pet, they know because when they they normally take their their pet their dog out for a walk, they'll see their dog trying to eat everything and anything. Yeah, and most of the things that dogs are happy to eat out and about, insects actually seem like a much more reasonable option than a lot of the things dogs try to get into. So. Totally right. Yeah, I think I think owners of that forty percent who are a little bit more hesitant when they realise um, the the opportunity of this protein and that their pet enjoys it, it they're really quite open to it. So yeah, it's um it, it's 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 great. And I at large, I think a lot of dog owners, so the population of people um, who are dog owners are normally more open, uh, and nature loving people anyway. So maybe a bit more experimental. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I mean, I'm really super encouraged to, to hear that. I kind of, I kind of felt like it would be a, a far harder sell, um, than, than you've described. So that's really cool to hear. And, and from a sustainability point of view, how important is the, um, sustainability part of the picture that you're painting to get them across the line with that? Do you think, as, as opposed to the, the genuine nutri- nutritional and health benefits of the hypoallergenic protein? So that's been an interesting discovery I've made along the way in that for pet owners, and and I've learned the hierarchy really of pet owners at large about what is really important to them. And the messaging normally will have to go along the lines of this is nutritionally a superior and premium product for your pet. Digestibility-wise, it's hypoallergenic. It's got great omegas. It's a complete protein and it's got great um, micronutrients and trace minerals. And, and, And you explain that to them as number one. Number two is, and your pet will actually love it because most people, they don't want to give something to their pet that they know is like feeding broccoli to their pet uh, and then their dog is just going to look at them and be like, well, you're the worst owner ever. I, I, I'm only going to eat this if I'm on my deathbed. Um, so they they want to make sure that they're, they're giving their dog a an experience that the dog enjoys. So it's the hierarchy goes nutrition and then it goes, uh, this is really also yummy. Your dog's going to enjoy it. And then Thirdly comes sustainability, but increasingly sustainability is becoming something that is more important to them. So once upon a time, maybe 10 years ago, sustainability could have been right down here, like down down towards the bottom. It has elevated to the third most important consideration to a pet owner. So, uh, and with time, that's only that's only actually um, 
going up in regards to and growing in regards to importance to the pet owner. But that yeah. would be the, the basic hierarchy of how you need to communicate these products to, to pet owners. Throwing into the mix there, how does um, insect protein as a, as a sort of base stock for the food com- uh, compare ultimately then with the end price of, of a product? I mean, are we talking about something that is that has to be considered a premium sort of pet snack or do we have uh, price comparison being an issue in, in the, on, on the shelves? Simply um, a volume, from a volume game, you obviously... The, the more supply there is of, of a product, the normally the, the cheaper uh, you, you'll be able to get that product. And, and it's a demand, so a, a demand question as well. But at the moment, because there is much less insect protein supply available on the market than, for example, beef and lamb and the other main meats, uh, meat proteins, it is a more expensive feedstock for me to put in the treats. Mm. However, I, I, I try to make sure that the price point is not out of this world. So you've just got to be realistic and you've got to be aware that to get owners on board, it's got to not be breaking the bank and it's got to also be delivering the key the key things that, that the owner wants for, for their dog. Uh, and so, yes, we are, our price point needs to be higher than the mainstream uh, products on the market. However, there's also a lot of premium products out there who are using, uh, um, as you communicated, I think, at the start of the podcast, prime meat cuts in their dog food. And those proteins would cost more than a lot of other bulk proteins that are available. So we're probably on similar price points to them. But adding Powell's message is that if we only have a certain amount of premium proteins that are available and and specific fine cut meats, then we those the the really high quality prime cut meats. There's a certain proportion that should be going to humans and the human population because the human population at large doesn't have enough protein to serve mm. the the number of mouths that need to be fed globally. And pets can thrive off these more alternate new proteins, be a market to grow them. So then we can also provide them to the human population because really at large, as pet population grows and human population grows, we need more protein, we need more food. The, the, the number of mouths to feed is far outpacing at the moment, our ability to be able to, to provide the protein requirements to those to those people and pets yeah so it's essentially uh we would be on we're really price point wise on the same level as some of the the other brands that that are um, recommending prime cut meats so I, I think that's a really powerful observation that you said there accepting the fact that the price point is going to be higher uh you're not necessarily higher than you know the highest price point in the marketplace which which means mm-hmm. you're taking a you know a common sense approach uh to your pricing there but the the essence of that is people will continue to buy that. Firstly, when you show them how you're solving their problems, and if their dogs have got um, allergy issues, if they've got other other problems going on, then you're actually solving that for them. You're solving the problem of that 
I know that that our dog has with lots of other treats that she doesn't like them. You know, we've tried all sorts of things and just spits them out. And you go, oh, come on, you're a dog. You're supposed to like that, but she, she won't eat it. So that's yeah. a problem. And the last thing you want to do is spend a bunch of money on things for them to spit it out. But this delicious nutty flavor thing that you've generated. And yes, look, it's better for the environment. It does all these incredible things. You know, it's so much more sustainable, so much less footprint than everything else. And people will be much more receptive to purchasing that when you when you handle it that way around. So you've you've really understood the dynamics of your of your market there, which is very good. But Steph, we are coming to the end of our time together, uh, which I could talk to you about this stuff all day. I'm finding it so fascinating. But with that said, what's next for Anipal uh, for the next sort of 12, 18 months? What's what's on your agenda? Well, we've got um, we've got these these upcoming launches, which is really exciting. But then, really at large, Anipal is a, a vehicle to help drive sustainable solutions for the pet and vet industry and ensure optimal health outcomes for our pets. So, for me, I kind of put on my experimental, scientific um, kind of lab coat, and I can. I love just trialing different different products with different alternative proteins, supporting different agricultural markets. So I, I think that you'll be safe to say there's going to be um, some exciting new treat, uh, treat options on the market using all sorts of fun and exciting uh, proteins. And uh, I also want to make sure that what we're delivering is um, is really fun for the pet and pet owner. So yeah, uh, we've yeah got, got some exciting experiments in the pipeline with different uh, different partners. That's awesome. And coming all the way back full circle to how you started the conversation with you know all the plastic lying around in um, you know off the river floods and and you know really what so I suppose piqued your interest in terms of animal welfare in in the first place back in the early days. Um, have you got thoughts around uh, anything you're working on with packaging and 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 so on going forward this year to kind of push that towards more, a more sustainable future as well? Yes, absolutely. So as everyone, um, well, I can imagine most of your listeners would know the the troubles with Red Cycle in the last six months, but essentially the, the, they've had a, they've had some troubles for for the last year or so, um, but. Fortunately, there's also a lot of a lot of other solutions that are increasingly coming on the market. So I mean, um, we work with a number of other recycling organisations as well in Melbourne and, and also in Ballarat. And there's also in Albury, which I so I grew up um, on a beef farm west of Albury. There's some really exciting solutions in regards to. Um, recycling and soft plastic recycling options as well. So we are actually now part of the Roll and Recycle program, which is essentially in, in, instead of actually um, needing red cycle, this is another alternative where you can roll up your, your packaging. Um, it, it'll have a little sticker on the back and, and customers can roll it up and stick it. So, it, so then it's, it turns into a cylinder of sorts and then it can go on the normal recycling bin and then it gets filtered to a recycling facility that when it goes through the recycling facility and gets scanned by um, the Bluetooth and infrared technology, uh, it 
they it's gets funneled out it looks like it's um a glass bottle and so it gets funneled out with the glass bottles and then from there it gets funneled out again into its own plastic um its own soft plastic stream so that was the issue that a lot of mainstream recyclers had in that it uh, a lot of soft plastics would be treated as paper when it goes through into recycling facilities and it gets pushed into different areas as a consequence of its weight and when with the infrared what what it um what the computer system reads it as and uh, and this is solving that issue so it's able to be actually streamed out into its own soft plastic section and from there it's able to be recycled as a red similar to the red cycle process um, but it's all more early stage than red cycle red cycle was definitely more uh progressed but the the good thing is is in, at large, Australia's community is really realising the issue we have, obviously, since government um, banned export of, of a lot of plastic. So there's a lot of funding and there's a lot of solutions that are coming on the market very quickly. So Lysella is another option for soft plastics. There's, yeah, you'd be safe to say in the next six to 12 months, you'll see lots of solutions coming on the market at scale. So where do people get your amazing uh, Anipal products, Steph? Where can they go? Yes, well, we we are online as a, uh, we have our own website uh, that people can can check out our products and purchase from there. And then also we are in a variety of pet stores, independent pet stores, as well as pet stock and uh, pet barn in, in about three or four months, and then a variety of vet clinics. So if you be, but you're probably safest to um to be able to go into a pet stock, which a lot of people know, and also um uh, online. So that's anipal.com.au, yeah? Yes. Fantastic. Great stuff. Well, Steph, thanks so much for spending your uh, time with us today. It's been really fascinating talking to you. It's a space that I know a limited amount about. So so learning from you today has been wonderful. And, and we wish you absolute success for 2023 as you get out into even more wholesale markets. Oh, thank you very much. Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. And firstly, I think there's an interesting lesson in the pragmatic way Steph is building Anipal. Like many founders, myself included, she's chosen to bootstrap her brand. Rather than going straight to digital, though, she's been very smart in leveraging her expertise and inherent advantages as a vet to get early traction in clinics and then wholesale distribution before finally turning to her online presence. That's allowed her to test products and get feedback from within her sphere of influence, which is incredibly important when bringing something genuinely new like insect protein to market. But that approach has also enabled a certainty of volume and income early on, which makes basic things like unit economics actually work, even if her volume is still tiny compared to mainstream production methods. So if you're an expert in your field as well, perhaps this is a viable route to market for you too. Secondly, what an absolutely fascinating space insect protein actually is. It's a hypoallergenic protein, an absolutely amazing alternative for furry family members with allergies, as so many seem to have. Plus, at basically 0% of the water and maybe 98% less land required compared to meat protein production, it unquestionably has a lower footprint. 
and has the potential to free up quality protein for human consumption as our own population grows far in excess of our ability to produce food. I, for one, did not realise that the insect protein growing industry had progressed so much here in Australia either, which was super encouraging. Personally, I have been exploring plant-based protein meat replacements lately, and some of them are really damn good, but I must admit I'm not yet ready to eat an insect burger. Would I buy insect protein for my dog? Well, I've already ordered some, and I can tell you that she loved them. Lastly, it was interesting to hear about some new developments in soft plastics recycling that might perhaps begin to bridge the chasm left by the collapse of RedCycle. The notion of simply rolling up soft plastic pouches and having them treated like hard plastic from your curbside collection is an interesting one, although the problem of downstream demand for recycled content still remains. Overall, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. And if you're a dog lover, I hope you'll support this great Aussie startup by giving the Anipal treats a go. For now, I want to say thanks to my sponsors, Heaps Good Packaging, and I'll be back again next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet. <laughs>